The Daily Rios, episode 442, the 40th anniversary of Superman, the movie. His name is Kal-El. He will call himself Clark Kent. But the world will know him as Superman. This year, Superman brings you the gift of flight. Superman, the movie. Hey everyone, this is your host, Peter. Superman, the movie, premiered on December 15th, 1978. So we just celebrated its 40th anniversary a few days ago. In honor of this milestone, the movie was brought back to theaters, and I made the trek out to King of Prussia to once again see it on a big screen. I remember seeing Superman in a drive-in theater back in the 70s with my parents, so to see it once more, big and loud, in a theater that only had about 25 people in it, yeah, that was a must for me. These Fathom events, that's the uh, company that put all this together, where you get to see classic movies brought back to the movie theaters, um, I think they are fantastic. And even though the quality of Superman the movie, the, the film itself, wasn't the best, there's just something about seeing movies like this in a movie theater that I don't think I want to pass up again. In fact, the experience of watching Superman the movie in that format is the whole reason I'm even doing this podcast. I think if it was, you know, just the 40th anniversary of Superman and there was no movie release, I don't think I would do an episode. But because I got a chance to see it in that format, there's there are a couple things that came up that I was like, huh, I kind of want to talk about that. Now, in this podcast... Um, I'm not going to necessarily go in-depth about the movie itself. I'm sure you can read about it. You can look at special features on DVDs. Um, I'm, I have a few notes about the movie and my reaction to it, but I think I also want to talk about how this movie made me think about everything that came after it, um, certain connections from this movie to comics or other superhero movies or the Superman mythos in general. Uh, I don't even have that much. There are a bunch of other podcasts that talked about the 40th anniversary of Superman. CGS uh, just did an episode, episode 1716, that covers it nicely. For me here on this podcast, it's just going to be a bunch of quick thoughts, quick notions. You probably have already thought of this before. Uh, And if not, you know, hey, that's cool too. So, as I said, a couple of notes about the movie itself and then a bunch of notes about other comics uh, or other connections, I should say. So here are uh, a few thoughts about the movie. Boy, do the opening credits work when you're in a movie theater. I got goosebumps. It was loud. I'm going to admit it. I cried a little bit. It even reminded me of when I went to go see uh, Superman Returns, and they also mimicked the same format for the opening credits. All of that John Williams music brought to life, the special effects. If you're going to do a superhero movie, they deserve superhero credits, you know? Um, 
I almost felt like Richard Donner and company were emulating the cover of a comic book by making the logo huge and big and making all the credits larger than life. So that was so awesome to see in the movie theater again. When we got to Krypton, the notion of seeing all those other cities in the the distance as we're getting closer and closer to the one that we're going to focus on, I'm sure I've seen that whenever I watch the movie on on TV or wherever, but something about seeing it that large and seeing all those other cities made me think, okay, what's going on in there? So I love that. This isn't a new notion, but for some reason it really uh, hit home here. The death of Pa Kent versus the later death of Lois Lane and Superman's reaction to one versus the other, or maybe Superman's reaction to Lois because of his reaction to Pa Kent. We get the warning from Jor-El after um, Superman storms off from seeing Lois dead. So in the clouds, we get the warning from Jor-El, and then we get Pa Kent saying, once again, you were brought here for a reason. And I'm not sure why it, why it didn't hit as it did this time around, that he is ignoring Jor-El. And, I mean, I got that notion, but it's because of what Pa Kent says. That's the reason why he decides to do what he does and fly around the world and change time. So, not a new notion. It just, for some reason, was hit really hard this time. Um, I think I always took it as both of his fathers talking to him, and he and he just makes the decision... But I don't think I ever put the two fathers against each other in that moment. So uh, that was kind of nice. It was kind of nice to either cement that or solidify that in my brain as I watched it this time. There's another moment that I don't think I ever saw before or saw it so succinctly. When uh, Superman and Lex Luthor first meet each other and they already do the whole Otisburg, California thing. And they're back in the main uh, desk room. And they're talking, they're standing uh, one in front of the other, and Superman has his arms folded on his chest, and Lex screams, Miss Tessmacher! Superman reacts. He drops his arms. He kind of flinches, even, and not flinches towards Lex. He kind of flinches away from Lex. I don't think I ever really noticed that before, how the scream startles him. Uh, that was great. It was It's great acting. It's a great moment. I think it could also be, you could sort of see how Superman treats these characters as criminals and as criminals that he thinks he could easily defeat. And, then, and in that one tiny moment, he sees a part of Lex that uh, maybe he didn't see before. So loved that moment. When I saw it on the screen, I had to come home and look at it on YouTube. Or actually, I have a DVD, I think, that I put in. Um, and I was like, let me look at this again. Oh yeah, look, look how he flinches. So great. Just really great. Um, and then there's, uh, one moment in the movie that is, uh, you know, for selfish reasons, I enjoy it. When Ma Kent is walking through her home early in the morning and she sees Clark through the window standing in the cornfield, it's right before the scene where he tells her that he's going to go north she puts a cereal box on the on a table, and it's pure product placement, but it's a Cheerios cereal box, 
and you spell Cheerios with R-I-O-S at the end, so it's always nice to see my name in the movie. Okay, a couple of things about the movie in relation to other DC Comics things. I think I like the movie version of Krypton a lot. It certainly has informed John Byrne's vision of Krypton. It informed uh, Smallville. There's pieces of Man of Steel. Uh, all the way up to the most recent Krypton TV show, the movie version of Krypton has really inspired uh, so much. Not only just the look and the tone of Krypton, but the use of the glyphs, um, certainly the Phantom Zone villains, just everything about Krypton I really like. So, yes, I know there are people who really like the... the um, Silver Age version of Krypton with the headbands and the bright colors and, you know, whatever else. But I think what Byrne uh, extrapolated from the movie was right. Um, I think it felt real and kind of made sense. And then I think there was a time during the James Robinson run of Superman where we got uh, the new Krypton storyline where all of the versions of Krypton existed and it just depended on uh, where you lived on Krypton, or it depended on what kind of work you did, or something like that. So you would get a John Byrne version and a John Byrne look next to the Silver Age look next to, I don't know, some 70s look or whatever. So um, that was something I took away from it, from seeing this version, of how this version of Krypton uh, really affected everything that came after. Not, And this is not new. It's not a new thought. People know this. But I think it helped to cement that I think this is my favorite version. And anything that riffs off of it, I kind of dig. When we're in Smallville and we meet a teenage Clark Kent and all the football players are putting their helmets on the bench and he's talking to Lana, Lana Lang, one of the first numbers on a jersey that we see in Smallville belonging to one of the football players is... 52. I think it is the very first number you see. So I thought, <laughs> that's obviously, you know, me just pulling that for whatever reason. But when I saw it in the movie theater, I went, whoa, 52, of course. Yes, it all makes sense. So I thought that was cool. In that scene where Pa Kent dies and he talks to Clark about, you know, uh, he says, when you first came to us, we thought that people would come and take you away because when they found out the things you could do, that worried us a lot. And I heard that in the movie theater, and my brain wanted to compare it to the discussions that uh, went on between Pa Kent and Clark Kent in Man of Steel, because there are a lot of the same beats, but I know some, some viewers had some issues with the way Pa Kent was personified in Man of Steel, and yet this Pa Kent had a bunch of the same worries, but they didn't develop this Pa Kent much more than just that line, right? So we're getting a Pa Kent, as he says, when you grow older, things become clear. And what it is, is that he believes that Clark was brought here for a reason. But it makes you wonder what this Pa Kent was like when he was younger as well. If they thought someone was going to take Clark away, can you imagine a young Mon Pa Kent, or young younger anyway, um, after they had just found Clark and some of the things they, they had to do and the lies they had to create uh, to protect this child. Um, 
young Clark Kent is 18 when we see him. So that's a lot of time for the Kents to be worried about whatever. So I have to say, you know, you're seeing a very, you're seeing mom pa Kent when they find Clark, and then you're seeing a mom pa Kent when he's about ready to become Superman, or more or less. And all that stuff in the middle, that's kind of where Man of Steel kind of exists for me. So I thought that was an interesting notion. During the big helicopter rescue scene that um, brings Superman to the public eye, Lois Lane is wearing a yellow outfit. And in our version of watching Superman the movie um, in King of Prussia, they opened it with the very first Fleischer cartoon, the Mechanical Monsters one. And in that little short, Lois Lane is also wearing a yellow outfit. So I wonder if the creators of the movie kind of looked back on that and said, oh, that's kind of an iconic look or a, uh, that's kind of an interesting look. Why don't we use that? So seeing those back back to back like that uh, made it stand out. So that was cool. And then speaking of costuming, uh, the Lois and Superman balcony scene where she's doing the interview the thing that she's wearing, that sort of wispy, long, um, flowing robe or whatever it is, you can connect that look, I think, to Superman 2 as well when they're in the fortress, but you can connect it all the way through to the most recent Elseworlds crossover on the CW with Flash and Arrow and Supergirl. Uh, they costume Lois at the end of the crossover pretty similarly. So when they're back in the fortress and there's a little bit of dialogue that I won't say because maybe you haven't seen it yet, um, she's kind of, the actress who plays Lois now, kind of dressed the same. I thought that was a nice little nod back. There were a lot of different ways that the Elseworlds crossover connected to various past and previous Superman stuff. So um, that way especially uh, stuck out for me. And then we have to go to perhaps the biggest notion here. Uh, the whole sequence where Clark Kent first becomes Superman with the help of Jor-El. There's a couple things here that um, stuck out. Uh, firstly, the whole phrase, uh, I will see my life through your eyes as your life will be seen through mine. The son becomes the father and the father the son. So at the end of all of that sequence, uh, right before we see Clark as Superman for the first time, we see Jor-El's face and then it turns into that crystal mask thing. And we zoom in closer and closer. And the mask turns. And then through the mask, through Jor-El's mask and through his eye, is that's how we go back into the fortress. And we see Superman in the distance standing behind the crystals. And then he flies towards us in a little bit of a shadow. And then he flies off, right, off screen. So there's a very real, literal description of seeing uh, your life will be see seen through mine, right? We're literally looking through Jor-El's eye at Superman. Um, probably my brain might have noticed that years ago before, but for some reason seeing it on a movie theater, I was like, whoa, there it is. It's a literal, literal interpretation of that line. And then when you connect it to... Superman 2, the Donner cut, where he gets his powers back um, from Jor-El, and uh, I think the same thing sort of happens. The mask comes closer and closer, and then there's a hologram or something of Jor-El, and he touches Clark and he gets his powers back. So 
the father uh, becomes the son, or the son becomes the father, the father, the son. You know, that's also a very literal interpretation. But that mask thing this time around, that really hit home. Um, there's also uh, the whole notion of the timeline here for this movie. We get a lot of stuff, right? When Pa Kent dies, Clark is 18. Because when he goes to the Fortress, Fortress of Solitude for the first time, when he creates it in the North and he talks to that Jor-El hologram, uh, Jor-El says, look, you know, 18 years have passed on your world, but Krypton has been dead for thousands of your years. So that's a little confusing because later we learn that Krypton exploded in 1948. Uh, so if he is 18, that means all of that stuff is taking place around 1966. And then there's the training sequence, the whole training sequence between Jor-El and Clark as they are um, breaking the bonds of your earthly confinement, traveling through time and space. That's what Jor-El says. So he's going off and he's learning about the world, the galaxy, humanity, morality, whatever. At the end of it, Jor-El says, okay, when we return to Earth, it'll be 12 years. 12 of your years have passed. So he's gone from 18, 12 more years have passed, uh, 18 in 1966, to the, to the age of 30 in 1978. So there are those 12 years that are unaccounted for. So in my brain, when we first see Clark Kent in Metropolis, and he's that bumbling, uh, three-piece suited, fedora-wearing guy, it makes sense that he would be a little bit out of time, right? If he went away with Jor-El when he was 18 in 1966 and doesn't return until 1978, he's a product of the 50s and the 60s, the early 60s. So for him to have that kind of suit, it's not reflected, I don't think, in anybody else. That look, that feel, that very bumbling um, Clark Gable kind of thing going on, or maybe there's a different actor that um, he's emulating. Um, it made sense. I was like, yes, right, he's been gone for 12 years. Uh, that kind of makes sense. And it, it adds uh, an interesting arc for him, because he doesn't have that look throughout the whole movie. Later on, he's a little less, um, you know, little less uh, out of date. Um, and, it's, and especially in Superman 2 and the rest of the movies, he's fine. So that notion really hit home this time. And then if I want to connect it to comics, what hit home this with that sequence, this whole idea that he disappeared for 12 years because he was training with Jor-El... That sounds exactly like what Bendis is doing with Jor-El and young Jonathan Kent, with young Superboy. He takes him away to go and train, Lois goes with him, and if you know what's going to happen, or if you've seen the news or read the comic, you know what the outcome is, more or less, when Superboy returns. So this notion of Jor-El taking uh, a youth and training him is goes all the way back to this movie and I thought oh wow that's cool there's precedence even if you don't like it there's still precedence to this notion that Jor-El um, has trained Superman in the movie and more or less trains a young Jonathan as well so so I guess it really depends on the origin of Superman that you're reading at a certain time in comics 
Does it have this whole Jor-El training aspect? Does it not have it? Is it like the um, John Byrne one where it was all about him growing up on Earth and everything he learned about Krypton, but it didn't matter because he thought of himself as an American? Um, is it the Jeff Johns, Gary Frank version, which I, I don't really remember. I don't know if they included any of this. But Gary Frank certainly drew Superman like Christopher Reeve, so I can't imagine that there isn't some of that. So I don't know. I don't know where Bendis kind of pulled that from, if he pulled it from anywhere uh, in the first place. But you know what? It goes all the way back to Superman the movie. So I thought that was really cool, and that was, uh, that was something that jumped out. Um, as I was watching that sequence, that whole training sequence. And that's really it. Uh, there wasn't much more. Um, I'm sure I could dig deeper into some of the movie aspects, some of the mythos, but those were the things that I can remember as I was watching it. Uh, those were the things that jumped out that I wanted to just kind of relay and talk about. So let me know what you think. You can email me, peter at thedailyreels.com. It was a joy to see this movie in the movie theater, as I said. I am definitely going to go see more, uh, especially if it's a classic or if it has some kind of larger-than-life aspect to it. Um, it's not just about connecting to nostalgia. Uh, as I was sitting there watching it, as I said, there are just some things that made um, that just connected differently. Um, you know, it's far more immersive with the music and the sound effects. It was almost too loud at some points. And you can tell, you know, especially those 70s movies, but... Um, some movies were just made to be seen in movie theater, and I think this was one of them. Um, so I'm glad I went. All right, this has been The Daily Rios, episode 442. I will return this week with a bunch of episodes, if I can get them recorded, including, hopefully, a Heroes in Crisis issue 3 breakdown. I have some Tower episodes I need to do, and we should uh, I should have a special Legion Project podcast uh, that will release either this week or next week if I can get the editing done. So, all right, lots of stuff coming your way. By all means, let me know what you think of it. Be safe during this holiday season, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.